It's really a privilege to be with you this evening and to, and conclude, to conclude the short series, series that we've been looking, looking at together, together on, on John's, John's Gospel, gospel. The, the seven signs that we find in John's Gospel. I don't know if you remember them all, but we started off with turning the water into wine. Then we had the healing of the official son. Then we had the man at the pool who took up his bed and walked. Then we had Jesus walking on the water, feeding the multitudes. Then we had a couple of weeks looking at the blind man who was healed. And this week, we're going to conclude with the raising of Lazarus. Now, not too long ago, I did speak on this. I think it was in the morning service. So I'm going to cover things from a slightly different angle. Not that any of you would remember it, I'm sure. But, you know, this is possibly one of the, the, the greatest miracle of all. Up till now, Jesus had um, changed the water into wine, his lordship over the natural world, um, the laws of nature. He was lord of when he walked on the water. But now we come to probably the greatest challenge that faces the human race, and that's of death. How sad we've all been over the each evening as we watch the news on the TV. They will give us the number of people who sadly have passed away during this pandemic time. And we want to assure you as a church, we're praying for you. And if you have been affected by this, you are in our prayers. And we're praying that God will bless and keep you at this time. So when we come to the raising of Lazarus, um, it's probably the highlight of these signs because it's declaring so many truths. In the introduction, in the notes, I uh, put the words that when Jesus said the words, I am the resurrection and the life, heaven rejoiced and uh, hell recoiled at that because it was a tremendous statement that how would have eternal consequences for every one of us uh, on this earth when Jesus made that declaration. Well, let me just start to read the story and we'll stop and we'll see what there is and hopefully encourage one another. Okay, Verse, uh, John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village, Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, was, whose brother Lazarus was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. We've just got to make a, a note here. In all the previous miracles, there was no strict personal relationship between Jesus and the people who received the miracle. Um, in the turning of water into wine, he was invited to a wedding, but it wasn't his friends. They possibly were Mary's friends, his mother. And so we go through them all these, the multitude. Again, there were a multitude. But when we come to this miracle, we see Jesus in a completely new dimension. He's now going to minister into a family that he was intimately involved with on a relationship level. These were not strangers. They weren't men begging on the side of the road. These weren't, you know, a man at a pool. These were people known to him. And the first, and I know it's obvious, I'm going to say this. Jesus Christ is interested in your home. He's interested in your family. And we're told this, this was the place where Mary was. And they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was ill. I like to think that Bethany and the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha was the place where Jesus kept his slippers. He felt at home there. You know, when he walked through the door, 
he probably went, wow, oh, it's good to be home. It's good to be here. And yet this miracle, this crisis was taking place at that very point of comfort and help to him. And then they send the word to Jesus. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. You know, we mustn't ever assume that sickness is somehow uh, a sign of that God's love is not there. If ever there was a miracle to show that even in sickness, God's love is still the same, this is the miracle. So they highlight to Jesus, the message goes up, the one who you love. Now, Jesus loved everyone, of course. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The love for the world is, is not what we're speaking of here. We're speaking of a friendship. We're speaking of a social interaction. And the human heart of Jesus received so much from this home. Well, Lazarus was indeed ill. And they sent word to him, the one whom you love is sick. Then in verse 4, things change slightly. It's quite strange. Isn't it? When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. So immediately he makes this a, a tremendous statement. He's saying, I am in charge of this. I am in charge of life and death. I love that verse in Revelation where Jesus has that, the keys of death and of hell hanging from his belt. Not the devil's belt. Jesus is in control. And he's saying here now, no matter what happens, what you hear, what takes place later on, I want you to know this sickness will not end in death. In fact, Lazarus did die. When we speak of death, it was not the final act that he was not going to remain dead. Jesus was going to step into this situation. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son, and now we come to Lazarus. Every one of them had different circumstances. The Jairus' daughter had only just passed away. The widow of Nain's son was on the way to the cemetery. But now, later on, we will discover that Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. It's almost as if the challenge increases each time. We must note something, that everybody Jesus raised from the dead would die again. They weren't raised to eternal life. They were raised to life. So Jairus' daughter um, ate a meal. Uh, the widow of Nain's son got up and started to talk. Um, Lazarus, each of these people would die again and have died. They're no longer with us. So we find here that God is stepping in to deal with immediate situation. Now, I'm going to clarify that a little later in a moment, I hope, with regards to you and to me. So he said there, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. Wow. Reminds me of the story of the we looked at in chapter 9, where they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, the blind man? Jesus said, no one sinned. No one sinned. It, it was for the, the work of God to be displayed in his life. Sometimes in these situations that we have, we, we don't have a slick answer. There isn't an ABC. There isn't one, two, three. God is doing things that we don't understand. For the blind man, it was going to result in his natural sight and in his spiritual sight being restored. But what was going to happen here in Lazarus' resurrection was far, far more. And we'll get to that in just a moment. 
But it's, I must pause here. Jesus said this, it is for God's glory. For God's glory. Even in this moment of bereavement, in this time of sadness, Jesus is saying the words glory. And that really is a benchmark for all our lives, that we come to a place where we can say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, your glory. And then he qualifies this, that this is done for God's glory, so the Son of Man will be glorified through it. And so he's talking of God, and he's talking about the Son of God together there in the same breath. So there is no subordination uh, pardon me, there's no inferiority in the Godhead, the subordination. And he's saying it's for God's glory and to glorify the Son. And of course, the Holy Spirit would amen that. And so we see the tremendous truth that's happening here. This isn't just going to be a healing. It isn't just going to be a resurrection. There's going to be something more. God's glory and the glory of the Son of God. A clear declaration as to Jesus' identity and his deity in this spot. Very more. Well, we find very simply, um, it says there, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And verse 6, if someone was to throw a spanner in the works, here it is. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. Now, many preachers have used the phrase, God's delays are not denials. And I, that is true. But please, Jesus deliberately stayed where he was for one reason. It sounds terrible, but he had to wait for Lazarus to die. And if he went too quickly, Lazarus might still be alive. But it was essential for resurrection that Lazarus would have to die and be put into the tomb. And the confusion that would cause, and the disappointment that would cause, and it would be awful. And had I been there, I would have had as many questions as anybody else. But you see, it was to God's glory and to the glory of the Son that Lazarus was lost to the family for those days. Okay, well, we go a little bit further now, and let's have a look at the conversations that take place. We find in there that um, on it, um, pardon me, he says in verse 11, pardon me, and after this he said, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. Please don't be confused by that verse. He was dead. But Jesus used the word sleep, not in the sense of a doctrine of soul sleep, but in the sense that he was going to be woken and raised from the dead. Now, please, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But this wasn't death unto judgment for Lazarus. This was death unto God's glory in those things. Well, verse 17, we have the conversations with the two sisters. I'm sure Jesus wasn't looking forward to this. It was going to be quite exacting. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Just a thing I noticed when I was looking at this. There's another story, isn't there, where we talk about Mary and Martha. 
how Mary went out and sat at the feet of Jesus and Martha stayed in and cooked the tea or the lunch or whatever they were having. And, you know, Jesus said that Mary had chosen the better part. Well, they'd almost reverse roles now. Here we have Martha going out first to meet Jesus and Mary staying in the home. And there's a slight possibility that Mary wasn't aware that Jesus was coming. Martha would have been the eldest, uh, Mary and little brother Lazarus. And it was very moving what happened. He went out to him, but Mary stayed home. And then in verse 21, we have this tremendous conversation that takes place. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, I'll, we'll never know what was really behind those words. Was it condemnation? You know, there's, you know, Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Or, Lord, if only you'd been here, I know that things would have been different. We don't know the tone. Um, maybe some scholars will be able to help with the, the Greek or the Aramaic or the words that were used in this situation. We're not sure, but I'm sure it was a mixture of both. I'm sure it was a mixture of, Lord, if only, why didn't you come? You know, you know, why not? And, you know, if you haven't spoken to the Lord in your life at some point in that way, you're going to. Life has a habit of us saying to God, where were you? Did you turn up late? Where were you when I needed you? And this whole story is to help us in those moments, the moments when the Lazarus in our lives passes on. I don't mean the death necessarily, but a situation where we look back and we think, where are you, Lord? Well, he's now on the scene, okay? Martha, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, there's an acknowledgement, first of all. That's a faith statement that Jesus could have healed him. So, well done, Martha. Jesus, the healer. But he says, but I know now that even if... Um, whatever you ask. Wow. So if you'd have been here, you could have been his healer. And then, but this beautiful little verse, you know, but I know now, even when it seems too late, even when the horse is bolted, even when the stone is in front of the tomb, you know, we've had the funeral, but, you know, Jesus, you know, the Father, you know, that God will give you whatever you ask. And in response to that faith statement, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Tremendous. But of course, Martha's faith did not, although she had the faith to say, you know, the Father will give whatever you want. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha immediately went to her Bible I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Yes. Was Jesus promising that Lazarus would be part of a general re resurrection at the last day? Time won't allow us to look at that. That's a, a, the, a, another study in itself. But he was actually speaking about, hang on a minute, it's going to happen now. But she pushed it forward. And sometimes, you know, we need more faith. We need to believe that the promises of God are for us and for us today. There's something, possibly in me, I don't know if it's in you, where I seem to put things 
in the future when really I should believe in God for them now. I know he will rise in the last day, in the resurrection at the last day, pardon me. Jesus said, and then this burst of truth, an absolute burst of truth. He said, I am, yeah, I am, I am the bread of life. I am the door. This comes back to Exodus 3. And when Moses said, who are you? God said, I am who I am. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Immediately declaring that not only could he heal sick, not only could he walk on water, not only could he turn water into wine, but the last enemy, the great enemy, death was subject to him. You see, I've got several books. I've got some systematic theology books. Some of you are thinking, oh, well, why don't you read them? Well, be kind, be kind, you know. And there's whole sections on resurrection. But listen, the resurrection oh, is not an event. I've said this before. The resurrection is a person. Now, it is an event, but we only have the event because of the resurrection is none other than the Lord Jesus. Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. The two go together. Resurrecting a corpse, you've got to have life in that way. And then he qualifies what he's saying. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, friends, that's you and me who are Christians, okay? Whoever believes in me will live. I believe in him. I'm going to live. Even though he dies, I will die. I'm near the end of my life in the beginning. In fact, I'm near the end of it in the middle of it. I know that. You know, I just have to look at my birth certificate to work out that I'm near the end. But let me tell you, whenever that moment might be, it is not the end. I've got bad news for you. It's not the end of Gordon Neal. Gordon Neal will live in the power of the resurrected Christ in that way. And then Jesus said to her, do you believe this? Martha, she started off with, if you'd been here, even now you can do it. And then the declaration, I am the resurrection, resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Then verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Listen, friends, that statement of faith made Lazarus' death worth it, if nothing else. And that sounds callous, but she came to that place. She was challenged by Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection of the life. Oh, I believe it's going to be in the future. No, 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 no. Now. And then she gives one of the clearest statements. You know, we talk about Peter saying, you know, and thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock. I you know, we, we, that's Peter's famous for that. But let me tell you, this lady here was soaring in her understanding of the things of God. I believe you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, the Messiah who who was to come into the world. You're the one we've been waiting for. I don't doubt it. Wow, what a statement of faith. And that's where we come to. And if you're not a Christian, that's where we'd like you to come to, where you can say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son 
of the living God, the Messiah, the one who would come and give his life for us. Well, I'm forced to ask him to have left my notes, which is a bit dangerous, but I'm watching the time. Thank you. Um, after she has said this, Martha, she goes to get Mary. Again, another difficult encounter for Jesus. Um, called her sister. The teacher is here, she said. She called him the teacher because that was the term that Mary would have been used to calling Jesus in the home. She just said, you are the son of the living God. But no, for Mary, he was the teacher. Okay? It says, the teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. How lovely. How lovely. Do you know, Jesus is asking for you. I could get upset here. He's asking for you. You say, Gordon, no one bothers with me. Jesus is bothers for you. He really does. And he died for you. And I have no preacher's bravado here when I say it. Jesus has sent me tonight to call you back to him, closer to him for the first time. He's asking for you. That was not in my notes. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village. was still at the place where Martha had met them. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house come to notice how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his feet. Martha didn't. Martha didn't. I think Martha came out to stand her ground a little. If you'd been here, and then from that, there flowed the statements that we've looked at. When she fell at his feet, and yet, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, your Lord, I know who you are. I acknowledge who you are, but you're the healer. You can only help the living. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I had faith for you to come and heal him. You are the you loved Lazarus. I couldn't imagine how having healed strangers, you wouldn't heal Lazarus. And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. There's an important word, troubled, there, but time won't allow me to expound it. But he was deeply troubled. Don't ever think that Jesus does not get involved in your situations. If you think you're deeply troubled about this pandemic, I can assure you, the Lord Jesus Christ is, you know, or we do all the things, we, we keep our distances, we wear our masks. Uh, Kay, my wife and I, we've had our first jabs, we're looking forward to the second, you know, you know, we do all of those things. But that doesn't diminish our faith in God, that God is with us and will care for us and will be with us. He was deeply moved. 
And then he says in verse 34, and we're moving towards a conclusion, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And in verse 35, we have the famous verse, the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. Now, if you had a dozen preachers preach on this verse, they'd all come up with a, 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 come up with a dozen different answers. Um, did he weep because he was upset that Lazarus had died? Was he weeping at the unbelief of the people? You know, he healed the sick. Could he not have healed Lazarus? Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Do you know, I don't think we'll ever know. I almost feel that it's not our place to intrude. There was a reason that the emotions opened up in him. He wept over Jerusalem. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus wept. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what the Romans were going to do in AD 70. And he wept for the very city that would crucify him. He wept for them. And now Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. Yeah, possible. It was, you know, think it through, make your own mind up, be comfortable with it. And then someone, and there's always someone there, some of them said, could he not have opened, sorry, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Of course he could. That's not a debate. There's always someone in the crowd. There's always someone around who's going to come in with a negative thought. I hope it's not you. Try and be as positive as you can. Try and be as faith-filled as you can. Don't be ridiculous. Don't, don't say outrageous things and think that God will have to honor your word. Friends, God doesn't honor your word. God honors his own word. So you can make as many faith statements as you like, but if he's not happy with them, he's going to do absolutely nothing. As some have found to their detriment over the years, you saying it doesn't make it happen. Jesus saying it does. I don't mean that to be harsh, but, you know, caution in these areas. So could you not kept this man from dying? So they obviously acknowledged that Lazarus was dead. He wasn't in a swoon. He was unconscious. He was dead. Jesus, once again, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad owner, bad odor, pardon me, for he's been in there four days. You say, well, why, why give us that information? It was confirmation that Lazarus was dead. I just put in my notes while I was waiting to, to speak that on Easter Sunday, they moved the stone not to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in, okay? So they could see the tomb was empty. On this occasion, they removed the stone, not to let Jesus in, but to let Lazarus out. Either way, it's a tremendous, tremendous miracle. Jesus said, did I not tell you in verse 40 that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Hang on, we're going to have a resurrection. We're going to have a brother reunited with his sisters. We're going to have a friend of Jesus restored back to life. They would have other conversations before Christ lost his life upon the cross. 
oh, there was a lot happening, a lot of things the Jews were going to hear. And as a result of this, the death penalty was passed upon Jesus. A very critical time in the life of Jesus here. So he says there, you know, until you will see the glory of God. Every time a miracle takes place, no matter how small, is to the glory of God. If you pray for someone and they are healed, it is to the glory of God, not to you. You know, it's not you. You're, you want to thank God that you've been uh, a channel and the gifts of the Spirit. Healings is the only plural gift, gifts of healings. There's a lesson there. So he said, see the glory of God. So when you pray for your neighbor to come to faith, and they do, it's to the glory of God. When you apply for that job and you get it, it's to the glory of God. What a lovely way to measure everything that's taking place in our lives as to the glory of God. Almost there. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But this I said for the benefit of the people standing there. Well, of course, many prayers we say out loud to encourage the faith of others and not only ourselves, that they may believe that you sent me. So the whole of this story was to reestablish the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the sent one, and that he had power over life and death. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Well, you've heard it. I've probably said it myself. He used his name because if he hadn't used his name, if he said, just come out, everybody in the cemetery would have got out just in case Jesus was after them. Such was his authority. It's a smiley little event. But, you know, Lazarus come out. All the others would come out in the judgment that Martha spoke about. But at this time, it was Lazarus who was going to live again. And it says there, the dead man came out wow when i get to heaven i'm going to get the dvd out of this i just want to see this i want to see the faces of the professional mourners up there i want to see the face of mary and martha when they hear that jesus is standing before a tomb and he's speaking to a man whose body had been decaying who in all natural things had lost to us forever and he says lazarus come out and the dead man came out. You know, speak life into those dead areas of your life. You say, oh, my life in this area, oh, it's dead. Listen, speak life. Speak life into those areas and believe that God can resurrect those areas in your life. Now, over this pandemic, there may be some slippage in some of our areas of living. Some things we've let slide that we shouldn't have done. Bible reading, maybe prayer and other things, maybe our giving, but listen, speak life over them. You know, we want an empty tomb, and an empty tomb, okay, he came out. Well, something had to be done. Well, of course, because Moses had been wrapped in clothes, and uh, embalmed, as it were. So the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, and with this I close, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. My only, I only ever had one pastor. His name was George Rutherford. It was South Harrowfield Gospel Church. 
And um, I can remember him preaching on Lazarus. And when you think I left that church when I was 17, and I'm now 390 years old, he must have been a good preacher for me to remember his sermons. I remember him preaching on this. He said this, it was, I think in the AV it says, loose him and let him go in the AV. And back in 1960, whatever it was, um, the AV was the version that we all used. He said, uh, loose him and let him go. And then he said to the church that when we become Christians, we've got to get loose from the old life and get going for God. Get loose and get going. I say that in memory of dear Pastor Rutherford. Get loose and get going. Please, whatever situation you find yourself in, you say, he's not around at the moment, Gordon. What's happening? I will say to you now, he's on the way. You say, well, the situation has deteriorated. It's never too late for him to speak life into that part of your life. And one day, if you're not alive when Jesus comes back, and Lyndon's going to tell me off for pointing, but, well, I'll have to put up with that. You know, one day, you will hear him say your name, and you will come out of the grave as well.